family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Well, church, as we uh, continue in our sermon series, I'm going to send the, uh, the kiddos. I almost forgot. I almost forgot. I was so close. I'm going to send the kiddos kindergarten through second grade uh, to Children's Church so that they can continue their sermon series in their, in their respective uh, Sunday morning kids' church space. So as we continue our sermon series in here, A Light in the Silence, we are understanding the, the scandalous and um, unexpected way in which Jesus broke into our world. Peace today is elusive. It's what we all want, but we cannot seem to attain it. Partly because we all have a different understanding of peace, don't we? Martin Luther King Jr. uh, said it best when he said... um, The true peace is not merely an absence of tension. In fact, it is the presence of justice. You see, oftentimes when we are seeking peace, we just want to calm the conflict. And if we can calm the conflict in our world and in the things that are happening around us, then we will have established and found peace. But what Martin Luther King says is that peace only actually happens when we seek after justice. Justice is exactly what Jesus came to do. Justice is Emmanuel, God with us. That God sent his only son so that we might have everlasting life. So that we might be reconciled to him so that he might save us. But as we saw last week, um, though the word was made flesh and the word dwelt among us, many did not receive him. That even his own rejected him. In verse 12, John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, what we are looking at today in our text in Matthew chapter 2, we're looking at this idea that the peace in which we seek is different, in fact, puts us in direct rebellion to the person of Christ and the peace that he offers to each and every one of us. Peace 
was why he came. But peace has no shortage of enemies in our world. Peace is elusive. We all want peace, but we cannot seem to attain it. Why, oh why, is peace so elusive? So as we look to our text, Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and open with us. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, we're going to start in Matthew and then we're going to jump from Matthew's gospel, from Jesus' life to uh, Revelation. We're going to make a big jump. Um, But we're going to see in that that text uh, an understanding of um, kind of a peek behind the veil an insight into this battle for peace that is taking place right beneath our noses, that's taking place in every corner of the globe and possibly that's taking place in our very own hearts. In our text today, uh, we are kind of skipping Christmas and we're jumping all the way to, uh, to when the, 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 um, the shepherds and the um, wise men come and visit Jesus. And we see this interaction with Jesus and Herod in this battle for peace. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 10, would you read along with me? I always encourage you, it's going to be up on the screen, but I encourage you to to bring your own Bibles in this space um, so that you can read the context around the scripture that we we highlight here, because we can't necessarily always fill in all of the contextual pieces in the the time frame of our sermon. So um, starting in verse, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 10, when they saw the star, they were... Uh, they were overjoyed. This is the, the, um, the wise men. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt or the wilderness and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. In verse 16, we we kind of uh, backtrack a, uh, a little bit and we see Herod's response. And then Herod, when he saw that he was tricked by the wise men because they went back the other way, he became furious. And he sent and killed all of the male children in Bethlehem and in all of that region who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. 
She refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What we see uh, juxtaposed uh, to, to itself is this, this peace that God is providing into the world. Emmanuel, God with us. He sent his son to reconcile us to the world, to save us. He sent his son as peace. And yet Herod on the other side is battling for his own understanding of peace. We see opposed to each other, God's understanding of peace and man's desire to grab peace for himself. You see, this this coming king, this king that was prophesied about was a threat to his rule, was a threat to his understanding of peace. And so he went to great lengths, even infanticide, in order to Uh, in order to wipe out an entire generation of, of infant babies just so that he could secure his own understanding of peace. He was willing to go to great ends to prevent a future uprising. I want us to, to fast forward a little bit What we see here is the the person, the greed, the pride, the arrogance, the, the envy welling up within a person to act. And we vilify this person, and rightfully so. But what I believe is happening in this moment is, is much greater than an individual's sin and pride rising up. But there's a, there's a peak behind the veil that we see in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, this, um, we see this, this image of this same story duplicated, but a peak behind the veil of it. You see, the word revelation, uh, we oftentimes think of end times. We think of the way that the world will end someday. But revelation, the word revelation is, is to, um, to unveil, is what it means in the Greek. It is, uh, it's like looking at a bride with a veil over her face, and you can see, you can see maybe some, some facial features. You can see dimly what she looks like. You can see her countenance, but you can't see her fully. And so you take, when you remove the veil, then you can fully see the expression on her face. You can see the makeup. You can see uh, the joy in her eyes. You can see fully. You can see clearly. Revelation chapter 12, and this will reveal a little bit about how I read Revelation, uh, different than some other people, and we're not going to go into that. If you want to talk to me about Revelation, let's go. Uh, I'd love to, to, to lean into Revelation. We just went through uh, a Bible study uh, on Revelation that was uh, fascinating and fun together. But we see here... Uh, a peek behind the veil of this same story, this battle, this cosmic divine battle for peace. Revelation chapter 12, verse one through six. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out, in birth pains, and in agony of giving birth. This is Mary. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. Anybody else have a, a, a dragon in their manger scene? No? I do. Do we have it? I think I'm, I'm taking you out of the order. Um, we'll, we'll come to that later. Um, verse 4. And his tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and he cast them to earth. The infants that he killed, that Herod killed. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a, chi- to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she, uh, where she has a place prepared for her by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. You see, the peace that was brought into the world, the enemy immediately is lurking outside. The, the, the enemy, the dragon, the evil one, the devil is, is lurking, waiting to devour peace. But peace, peace was then brought up into the heavenly realms at the throne room of God and protected so that you and I might experience this peace. And the woman was sent into the wilderness to Egypt to be provided for and nourished in that space. What we see here is that from the very beginnings, all the way from the birth of peace in Jesus, this cosmic battle has been going on. Peace is so elusive because peace is constantly under attack in our world. This dragon at the manger scene um, is a constant reminder in this season where we are seeking peace that the enemy is lurking just outside to steal your peace. There are two warring images of peace. My peace and the peace that God offers to you and to I. A battle The battle in the flesh that we experience and see on a daily basis is a manifestation of a war that's going on in the spiritual realm. And a peak behind the veil shows us that the enemy does not want you to experience the peace that is found in Christ. But he is A-OK even behind you pursuing peace for yourself. This is the battle that's happening in our world for peace. On every level, peace is under attack, maybe even in our own hearts. 
The second thing that I think we see is that peace is so elusive because this gift that God desired to give to us, which is peace, is one that we don't even believe that we need. You see, we live in a world where we can provide for ourselves, where we can take care of any problems that come up in our world. We have the financial resources or the, even the people around us to help us out. We can seek peace for ourselves. Peace is oftentimes uh, confused with comfort, security. This is a gift Peace is a gift that God desires to give to each and every one of us. We see in Luke chapter 1, 79, that God sent his son to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into a path of peace. Jesus came to give the gift of peace to you and I. Isaiah calls Jesus the prince of peace. The angels in the field declare over the shepherds peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Peace is a gift. God desires for you and for me to have, to know, and to experience this gift of peace. But do we desire it for ourselves? You see, a gift tells us a lot about ourselves. Imagine yourself on Christmas morning and your, your wife or uh, someone close to you uh, is giving you gifts and you open the first gift and it's a, it's a bottle of Rogaine. And you look at him and you're like, oh, okay. A gift tells us something about ourselves. And the, the second gift that you open up is a, is a gym membership. The third gift that you open up is a, is a garage tool organizer. You see, a gift tells us something about ourselves. What your significant other is telling you is that you're, you're bald, out of shape, and unorganized. But if we don't believe that we need the gift... If we're sitting there with a, a bottle of Rogaine with a full head of hair, we will just simply put the gift back into the box and sm smile kind of smugly and say, thank you. Because we don't believe that we actually need that gift. We, uh, we had a rule in my house called the grandma rule. And uh, my grandma loved, absolutely loved to give gifts and she would give a multitude of gifts, and they were all terrible. <laughs> like the worst gifts that you could possibly give. She thought that, that we as teenagers were like six, right? And she would get us little critter pens that, that were made out of wood and that they moved. And, and we look at this and like, why, why do I need this? Well, we had this rule that, um, that you don't ever take the tag off of a grandma gift. But... I don't know why we had that rule because you could never actually find where this thing was bought from because the, the tag had been cut to the extent that you didn't know the store and she had probably bought it on this, uh, the clearance rack that was so far in the back of the store that it was, uh, it, there was no returns available, right? 
And so these gifts, they began to, to just be circulated as uh, kind of gag gifts amongst the family. And you'd receive one at, at your birthday or uh, receive one sometime the next year, as long as she wasn't around. But she didn't remember things very well, so we could still give it and she didn't know. Um, but it was, if you don't need the gift, if you don't feel like you need the gift, then you, you simply put it back in the box. You don't try it on and, 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 uh, and remove the tag, but you, you acknowledge the gift and you say thank you very much, knowing full well that it's not a gift that you need. In Romans chapter eight, Paul lays out this understanding for us that we pursue after this gift of peace, but we believe that we don't need the gift of peace because we think that we are good in our relationship with God. He says this, may these words speak and penetrate into your soul like they did to me as I read these words this week. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh, hear this, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. In order to accept the gift of peace, we have to first recognize that our, that our flesh is hostile to God. That the, the pursuit of our own peace comes in direct conflict with the peace that God desires for us. And that the pursuit of our own flesh, of our own security, of our own kingdom is in direct hostility to the things of God, to the peace that God desires for you and for I. We have to recognize that we need the gift before we will ever actually receive it. You say, I'm not at war with God. My, I'm not hostile to God. I, I come to church every week. I proclaim Christ on my Facebook page. I love my neighbor as myself. But what about when God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? We're at peace with following Jesus on Facebook and church attendance, but what about when God says, if you want to come after me, you must take up your cross and die. I'm at peace with giving to the poor, but what about in scripture when Jesus says to the, to the rich young ruler, you've done everything good. You're, you're doing good things. Uh, how about you sell all that you have and give to the poor? You see, the hard sayings of God, our flesh, our flesh is hostile to those. The peace, they are in direct contradiction to, to peace 
that we experience, that we understand, that we know. To sell all of my possessions and give to the poor, that, that, that is directly contradicting to the security that I'm trying to build in my life and the peace that I'm trying to build in my life. Peace with God means submission to God. If we want to to have peace with God, we have to recognize that we are warring with God and to say, uh, God, I'm, I'm raising the white flag. I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering to my own battle and I'm submitting to yours. I'm surrendering to my own understanding of peace and I'm surrendering and submitting to yours. Peace is so elusive because our definition of peace is different from God's understanding of peace. You see, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 10, um, he lays out this, this concept and in such a contradictory way that it forces us to pause and to reconcile these words. You see, in Matthew's gospel, he later, in this same gospel where he talks about um, this, uh, this peace coming into the world, he says, in this same gospel that, that says peace on earth and goodwill to men, in the same gospel where we experience God, God desiring to bring us peace, he says, uh, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait, what? Jesus, you you just told us that you were coming to to bring us peace. And now, all of a sudden, you're you're backtracking and saying, I didn't come to bring peace. How can these two things exist in the same authoritative text? You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's butting up these two understandings of peace. In John's gospel, in John 14, he says, I send you the helper, the Holy Spirit, to bring you peace. Peace not as the world gives, but peace as I give. There are two two contradicting understandings of peace. And what Jesus is saying here is that that if you, that I didn't come to bring the peace that the world gives, I came to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That doesn't sound like peace. Martin Luther King Jr., As we read earlier, true peace is not merely an absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. When we are in a battle against the world, when we are choosing the peace of Christ as opposed to the peace of the world, there will be conflict. There will be people around you that don't understand the things of God that will will not understand when you start giving to the church of your funds. They won't understand when you start giving all of your time away to people who you don't even know. 
They will not understand when you're forgiving your enemy. They won't understand because it's not the way of the world. And it will cause conflict because you're not operating in the same understanding of peace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood it clearly. And his fight for peace in the, in the Third Reich, in opposition to Hitler, he said this, peace must be dared. It is a great venture. It can never be made safe. Peace is the opposite of security. Friends, the gift of peace is the result of actively choosing Christ over the world. Behind the veil of sin in our lives is a dragon lurking to steal the gift of peace that God desires for you. to well up your flesh, to stoke your pride, your envy, your greed, to protect your own security, to protect your own understanding of peace, to protect your own kingdom, as Herod did. But to seek peace, this elusive peace, the, this peace that we all desire but we can't seem to, to grasp, it comes in actively choosing to live in alignment with the Spirit, to daily say yes to God. The simple yeses, the small yeses, the yeses that when we wake up, we, we choose either to, to go to our phone and scroll through Instagram or Twitter for the first 15 minutes, or we choose to engage in the word of God. One, uh, one person in the, in the 930 service came to me afterwards and said, um, you know, I, I oftentimes, um, I don't feel like I have time in my schedule to read the word of God. And so I just listen to it when I'm in the car. But when I actually do make time to sit down and open up the word of God, to rest in the word of God, to, to really invest time in the word of God, I experience a peace that I don't experience when I'm driving in my car just listening to it. You see, that's conflict. It, it even means saying, saying no to a lot of good things so that you can carve out time for, for Christ. That's conflict. That's pushback against the world. That's the sword. Dividing the things of the world and the things of God and setting them as priority. To seek peace, the peace of God, is to say yes to God in small decisions and in big it is to die to self. It is to be a lover and a doer of the word of God. In fact, seeking peace is our calling as a child of God. 
If we look at scriptures, if we look at Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of his preamble to his ministry, and I'm going to close with this and invite the band to come forward. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peace is what it was designed for. Peace is what God will do in the end. And we, here in the middle, are called to, be, to bring heaven to earth, to be peacemakers. We, are, we are understand peace because we are reconciled to Christ. We are made just in Christ because, of his, because he came to save us. We are peacemakers to the world because we are called to be ministers of reconciliation to the world. We are called to bring others back into the story of God's peace.